Another thing that godly sorrow that leads to repentance produces is fear. Now, um, we know that God doesn't want us to have fear. We know that God um, doesn't want us to live in fear. But the fear that Apostle Paul is talking about here is actually the fear of God. Now, if we're honest with ourselves in this modern generation, in um, the church tradition, we do not really have the fear of God. This is because God has been represented as our BFF. Some people call him um, the road dog. Um, there's a lot of familiarity when people approach God now. And again, I would say that this is, this is definitely something that comes from church culture, right? The leaders that we have have gone to such great lengths to, to take away uh, um, the scary part of God. You know the part that Israel encountered when Moses brought them to the mountain, when they first came out of Egypt and they came to that mountain to worship God. And the Bible says that, you know, the presence of God descended on the mountain and there was lightnings and there was thunderings and it was like an earthquake and the top of the mountain was shaking and smoking and the people were terrified seeing this sight. So when God told them now, draw near to the mountain and worship, but don't touch the mountain, everybody said to Moses, no. We can't handle this. This is too much for our hearts. This is too much to observe the living presence of God. Moses, you talk to God and then we will hear you and we will do whatever it is that you say. So uh, a lot of the times I personally, me, Celestial, I find that God has been greatly sanitized in the church and we do not have the fear of God. And one of the first things that you will notice when there is no fear of God is that sin will increase. Why? Because if you have the right and the proper view of God, not only that he's the reckless love God or, you know, this God that's forever running through the hills and the valleys looking for us to have communion with us, but that he is a king. God is a king seated rightfully in very high places. God is the very breath that you breathe. Yahweh, he is the very breath that you take in and breathe out. God is the pulsating of your heart. God is the blood in your veins. He is the force. He is the spirit within keeping you alive. Jesus said, do not fear men. Because the worst that men can do to you is to kill you. But fear God, for he has both the power to take your life and then consign you to hell. That is one of my favorite verses and for good reason. That verse helps me split things, split the coconut right down the middle. That verse teaches me that there's a difference between even between even the most powerful human being, whether he's a president of, of, the, of the biggest nation on earth or whether he's an army general or even whether he's a thug that happens to catch me in Central Park and has a gun to my head. There is still a difference between a human being at the apex of power over me and the Lord Jesus Christ and the early church in the book of Acts, understood this very well. Apostle Paul understood this very well. Apostle Paul was able to be consigned to prison by different kings, and yet 
he had his peace because he knew that he was the emissary. He knew that he was the servant of a far greater being. When you really begin to search this book and you come to the deeper understanding of who God is, you will reverence him. You will understand that Jesus Christ is a friend to you. He is a brother to you, but he is also your Lord. When angels appeared in the Old Testament, people passed out. They fainted. They wrote of their encounters, I became as a dead man. And the angel then touched me and I revived. If this is what the power of an angel, who is only a servant himself, if this is what the power of an angel can do to the human body, what do you think having an, having an encounter with the living God can do to the human body? Isn't this the reason that Moses said, oh God, I want to see your glory. And Moses didn't even know what he was asking. Moses was asking to gaze upon a living and consuming fire that probably would have roasted him in nanoseconds. And God said, you cannot gaze upon my glory, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, cover you, Moses, with my hand, and I will pass by and then you will see the back part of me, right? So this was all Moses was allowed to gaze on. We're talking about the person, the Bible says that God breathed out the stars. God by wisdom created this planet. Look at us as human beings. Up to now in modern science, we are still discovering things about this machine that God has made and encased our human spirits in. And this is the person that we just want to take for granted. This is the person that we don't want to respect. This is the person that to, to present day, we're still arguing and saying, oh, he's like this. He wouldn't do this. God wouldn't do that. The church is full of opinions about what God would and wouldn't do. And yet this book settles it all. If you have this book in your language, in a color that you prefer, it tells you everything about who God is, what can, God can do, what God will do, and there's really no need for all the back and forth that we have. We're not convicted of sin because we don't fear God. We don't think that he's going to do anything if we sin, or we imagine him to be this person of limitless patience. We can just keep sinning and sinning and sinning some more, and it doesn't really matter. God will just overlook it. God will just take his blood and mop it up. And this is the reason, for instance, that this nation finds herself under judgment today. If you do not believe that the United States is under judgment, well, God bless you. But God has been aptly and adamantly sharing his heart with many messengers such as myself. And God has made it abundantly clear that for the overflow of sin, the overflow of perversion, the overflow of abominations, just the overflow and the hardness of heart that is rife in America today. This nation is under judgment and God said that he will bring very harsh punishments here because we do not repent of sin, but our entire demeanor is, what is my sin? How have I sinned? And then the third part of that magic formula is even, even if I've sinned, 
Who are you to judge me? Don't judge me. There's one thing I hear all the time. You don't know his struggle. I'm thinking, are you serious right now? This has become an epidemic in the church. You can't judge her. Don't make any commentary on it. You don't know his struggle. Brothers and sisters, it's time to get back to the baseline. I'm going to be honest in this broadcast. It is time. It is past time to get back to the baseline. And the baseline is all unrighteous conduct, all immoral conduct. This is putting substances in your body that do not belong there. This is pursuing sexual relationships that you have no right to have outside the covenant of marriage. This is stealing. This is lying. This is covetousness. This is abdicating your stewardship when God has given you a position of power or a position of responsibility at your job or a position of responsibility in the government or in um, any place where you are a steward, where you are over other people, um, whether it's in the church or it's in the secular world, if you are transgressing the written law of God, you are out of order, you are in sin, and if you are following any group of people, any crowd of people, any sect of people, or any organization that is telling you, no, we have an alternative reality for you, we have a different truth, and you can just subscribe to what we say, and then you will be free from having to follow the dictates of those religious fanatics, those zealots, I am here to tell you by the spirit of the Lord that Jesus Christ is cleaning house at this very moment. And guess where he's going to start? That's right. Did somebody put up their hand in the back? Judgment begins at the house of God. Jesus is going to start cleaning up his church with the church. Judgment is going to come to us who call ourselves Christians first and foremost. For the things that we have supported, for the things that we have said, for the sin that we have harbored in our hearts, refuse to struggle. The Bible says, loose yourself from the snare of the fowler. It says to struggle like a gazelle in a trap until you get free. Have you seen a deer or any other animal that has been caught by a trap? They pull and they pull and they pull because they instinctively know that this trap is not part of their mandate. This trap, this thing that has caught them fast is not part of what they're supposed to be dealing with. And they know that if I'm caught by anything that doesn't let me go, there's danger on the other side of that. If I get caught here and I get found here by the one who set this trap, it's going to be destruction for me. But what we're teaching and believing in church is that we can linger in sin, we can wallow in sin, and we don't have to repent of it. If our feelings are hurt, if somebody has done something to us, there are times when somebody does something to you and they are the cause of your sin. Somebody does something to you that is so painful, so offensive, so wicked that it, it translates you into a position where you then fall into sin. In the case where, for instance, somebody has been abused or molested, 
That kind of sin against the human body always opens the door for so many other behaviors that are in and of themselves sinful. People who get abused, they sometimes go into a, a deep depression. Sometimes they go into rage. Sometimes they go into substance abuse. Sometimes they go into promiscuity. So many other things snowball on the back of that one sin. And brothers and sisters, we need to come to a place where even the original sin that we are not responsible for, we have to bring it to God. There's space for counseling. There's definitely space for retribution in the form of catching this person, jail, and all those things. But brothers and sisters, even after your attacker is jailed, or even if your attacker is found guilty and loses their life, there is still fallout that will remain in you. As long as you do not come to the place where you can surrender your hurt, surrender your pain, surrender your devastation to God and say, I am so enraged. I am so blackened on the inside by what has happened to me. But at the same time, I don't want to live like this because the one who set the trap for me has been caught. The one who set the trap for me has been punished. But now even when they're out of the way, I'm still in the trap. That's where you need to come to a place where you surrender to the Lord. You need to bring him that hurt. You need to bring him that heartbreak. You need to bring him the bitterness and the rage. And it will involve a lot of healing. It will involve the need for forgiveness. This is not even what I intended to say when I started to make this video, but perhaps it's for somebody out there who needs to hear it. There will need to be a lot of surrender. There will need to be a lot of trust. You will have to say, God, I fall into your hands. Please heal me. I'm not able to heal and restore myself. There are a lot of people who won't forgive things that were done to them because the, the attacker or the offender is not sorry. Brothers and sisters, there are people out there with some very wicked hearts. If you are waiting for them to give you an apology, you might be waiting until the Lord comes back. It is very danger, dangerous to tether your life to somebody else's life. When I say tether your life, here's your attacker, here's your offender, and here you are, and you're joined to them by that hatred. See how my two nails are joined to one another? You're joined to them by that hatred that you have for what they did. You're joined to them by that evil act that you suffered by what they did. And you're not able to get free. Everywhere you go, you take them with you. They're out there living their lives. Maybe they're out there molesting more people. Maybe they're out there taking other people's um, 401k. Maybe they're out there scamming other people. But wherever you go, there you are with this person. They're with you when you're waking. They're with you when you're sleeping. They're always in your heart in a very negative way. And the energy that this person has transferred to you by that offensive act that they committed against you eventually can kill you. There are people who have committed suicide because they were not able to untether themselves from the point of trauma, from the point of pain, from the point of heartbreak of what somebody else did to them. So I am saying that sin can even beget more sin when it initially was not your fault. But if we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be made new, we can be made whole, Jesus has restored so many people. 
His track record is impeccable. You are looking at a renewed work. The Lord has restored my heart, my life, my mind, and I am not speaking to you things that I have not undergone. So to go back to the point that I was making, we do not have the fear of God anymore. We have lost respect for the Father. We think that he is just one of us. What if God was one of us? It's a pretty song. It's just not true. God came down as man, but he was born immaculate. I'm not Catholic. The word immaculate simply means perfect. Jesus was born without sin. He never committed any sin and he went back to heaven sinless. We are born in sin, which means that we are born dead and we only come to life when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you have lost the fear of God in your life, your conscience will become seared. It will become pressed and burned with a hot iron. That's how people end up being mob bosses. That's how people end up being, um, you know, all sorts of things because their conscience is seared. So if a woman's out there and she's taking off her clothes and doing all the stuff for money that they do, you know, she doesn't feel bad because she thinks I'm out here getting this paper. You're out there showing your secrets, you're desecrating your vessels and you're, you're, you're totally at odds with the law of God that requires you to be demure and modest and the wife of just one man. And you've got a room full of people looking at you and telling yourself proudly, I'm putting myself through college or I'm doing this for my kids or I'm doing this because I don't have any choice. Brothers and sisters, this is the snare that we have in society today. I know in my heart that even as this video goes out, there will be those who will watch this video and say, well, she can sit in her bedroom and she's just judging people. She doesn't know what's going on out here. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, your problem is not me. Your problem is the fact that behind me, there is a voice that commands me to speak. Your problem is not with this face or this mouth. Your problem will be that there will come a day when me and this video and my little bedroom will not be there. You will stand before your maker and you will answer outside of the body, which means when you're no longer alive and you're in your spiritual form, when you don't have that body that you were twerking anymore, you will answer in your spiritual form for things you did in your natural form. I won't be there. God won't call me and say, Celestial, is it true that you made this video and you said these things and this girl was upset and she called you Judgy McJudge? He won't call me. You will have to answer to him and you will get the shock of your life to find that the things I'm telling you now in the body are the things that he will tell you outside of the body. If I tell you a lie and you get before him and he tells you that an immoral lifestyle was totally okay and he asks you if you want to live in unit 4J or unit 4K in heaven, I completely apologize to you. But if you know in your heart that there is a baseline, there is a moral law that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ and that we as humans are called to obey that law and not to cross it, then what you need to do, what I need to do, is that when we hear truth being spoken, we need to tamp down our emotions. We need to press them down. 
We need to stop allowing the devil to stir us up in our flesh all the time so that we're always on the internet in the comments section, but you don't know my struggle and my mom wasn't there and my dad did this and that's why I'm stripping. Brother, sister, if you are stripping for any reason, you are not going to get a get out of jail free card if you die in that unrepentant state. If you die by any chance, if you dance your very best, if you sell the most weed you've ever sold in your college fund, um, this is my college fund weed business. I'm just doing this to get this medical degree. This is what we do as people. We have trade-offs. We explain our sin because we have an altruistic end in mind. I'm going to college to be a neurosurgeon. I'm going to help a million people and I'm even going to fly to Papua New Guinea once a year and I'm going to give away free brain surgeries to all the poor kids who can't help it. So right now as I sell this weed to pay my school my school fees, you know, it's just a small trade-off. But God looks at the end of a thing and he looks at the underlying motives of a thing. If I steal Here's, here's a totally good example. People always say, is it stealing if you go to the hotel and you're not born again and you see the Gideon Bible on the hotel bedstand and you start reading it and you have an encounter with God and you're just so moved and you're so filled with the Spirit of God and you get down on your knees and you give your life to God right there and you say, wow, I like this Bible. And you steal it out the hotel and take it home with you. It's stealing. What you should do is leave the Bible there so that it can bring another person to Jesus, fly home, and buy your own Bible. So there, I've solved that eternal riddle for us. It's stealing. You cannot justify a righteous end that is rooted and starts in sin. We make these trade-offs all the time. We tell ourselves it's just for the moment. And we forget that God is watching both the beginning of a thing and the end of a thing. God has a beginning name called Alpha and an end name called Omega. He watches the beginning of a thing, the end of a thing, and every breath in between. So if we lose the fear of God and when we hear the truth being shared, we become upset we become offended because the words that are being spoken are scratching in our throat. We know it's us. And Satan makes us so offended when we hear the truth. And that is such a travesty. That is such a tragedy. And that's why we hate repentance. It is easier to get angry as a Christian in this generation than to just say, you know what? You got me. I'm 100% guilty. It's me. I'm the one. Brothers and sisters, whenever I share about repentance to people, I let them know that I am no stranger to repentance. Nobody came out of their mother's womb white as snow. But I love repentance. Especially for me where when I commit sin against the Lord, my life turns gray. It's almost like a cartoon. It's like... I am devastated. I feel it so quickly and I immediately begin to, I, I say those words, you know, of David, oh Lord, 
Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Maybe, maybe some of you, you, you don't feel the Holy Spirit so closely, so you're not aware when the presence of the Lord is there or when the presence of the Lord goes away. But for me, there's, there's no question. I know when the presence of the Lord is with me. I physically feel his presence. When I come home, I can physically feel the presence of the Lord in my room. It's something that I can't really describe and I wouldn't want to anyway on camera because that's just my business. But the thought of that presence being lost to me is devastating. It's just devastating. And when I make a mistake, I feel that conviction so sharply. Sometimes I just need to separate myself. I just need to separate myself and get on my knees at the place where I pray and just just begin to seek the Lord and say, God, please forgive me. Please, God, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Lord, renew a right spirit in me. Create a clean heart in me, O oh God. And then I will teach transgressors your way. If you're in ministry and you're finding that your ministry is not effective, it might be the devil fighting the growth of a new thing, or it might be secret flaws and sins that you are not even aware that you have, that you are walking in. Maybe you started your, your, your business or you started the ministry and what you're really going after is to be famous, what you're really going after is so that people can be clicking on your things. Uh, this click culture, I, I don't even know, but yeah. Um, and if your heart is not right, towards why you're doing it, then that just might be the reason why it's not bearing fruit. It doesn't have growth, you know, because you're not actually enjoying the work that God has sent you to. And it's so people centric. That's the ironic thing about being in ministry. Yes, you're sent to people, but it, I don't think it's supposed to be people centric. I think it's supposed to be God centric. I love I love the Bible. I love God's word. I love God's presence. I love the stories in the Bible. And so whether I'm sharing with one person, a hundred people, whoever clicks on these videos, um, you will always find me excitedly or, or strongly sharing the principles of the word of God. So um, let's keep this short. We spoke about having the fear of God. And then um, another thing Paul says is it produces vehement desire and zeal. So um, if I can explain it from my own life, whenever I have messed up, I really feel bad. Um, I really feel bad. When I come to pray, I just say, oh God, you know, I just know that the enemy right now is playing a whole orchestra and he is getting ready to indict me in the heavenly courts and he is getting ready to say, God, put her back at the starting blocks. Brothers and sisters, the starting blocks is somewhere you don't want to go. You don't want to have run the whole race and have maybe half a meter left before you get to the finish line and then you mess up and Satan goes starting block and the angels answer and say yes indeed starting block and then you have to go back to the beginning and start the process again or start your refinement again or start that assignment again or start that project again just because you messed up it is so painful and so he's saying that when you have truly repented in a godly manner and it's the repentance that leads to salvation of your soul you will have a vehement desire not to do it 
again. You will not want to go through the process again. And it says that you will have zeal and vindication, which means that you will become the champion of not doing that sin. You will share with others. Hey, let me tell you about that sin. Don't do it. You will become the progressive sales lady for not doing that sin. So um, it says in all things, you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. When you have truly gone through the process of repentance, there will be a clearance in your soul. And that's the part I love the most. When I feel the sunshine of God's love coming through to me once more. And he's like, you, you little... And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, God. Thank you for taking me back. And I'm so happy. And I'm back to my normal self. And uh, that grayness lifts and the little evil violin stops playing, you know, and Satan is sent to the corner. Um, that is the best part of knowing that you have received the Lord's um, forgiveness is that your countenance is just beaming. You're just so joyful and you're like, Lord, I never want to hurt you like that again. We need to have in mind that God is a person. You know, uh, we defend our personhood so strongly in this generation. And I just want to know, are we, are we that zealous for the personhood of God? Do we really love him that much? Do we care about him the way that we care about us? Do we care about the reputation of God as much as we care about our reputation? You know, the Bible says he made himself of no repute, but most of us would whip out an imaginary air pistol if anyone tried to mess with our reputation. And I think I will end with this thought. Part of the reason that repentance is not so loved in the modern church is because we have this ally culture. I speak of it a lot. We have this ally culture where if somebody does something wrong, you know, when I was growing up, when I did something wrong, this was a phrase my parents used all the time. Go in that corner and think about what you did. You go take a seat in the corner and think about what you did. You go to your room and think about what you did. And, and what thinking about what you did does, the fruit of that is that it gives you time to think about what you did. That's part of the process of avoiding sin. If you come back to your sin and you're made to look at it and stare at it and see, this is what you did. This is what you caused. This is what you are responsible for. Of course, you're going to feel bad, but that's part of the process. We do not want to feel bad in this modern world for any reason. Everything that is sold to us and showed to us, the whole point of it is to make us feel good. Society is all focused on feeling good. And even things that are not good are now offered to us. And we we're told this will make you feel good, you know? Go on Ashley Madison and shop for somebody else's husband and have an online liaison and that'll make you feel good about your marriage that's not working. So even evil is presented as good. And we're so intent on feeling good that we don't want anything that makes us feel bad. And this is why this phrase, don't judge, is so famous now. Because if you say, hey, she shouldn't have done that, hey, He's wrong for doing that. That's sin. Then everybody's like, Ch -ch 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 -ch. let people enjoy things. And I'm thinking, uh, no, no, 
That is not what the Bible says. That is not being your brother's keeper. That's not love. We don't want to feel bad. But the process of repentance involves feeling bad. And feeling bad has its uses. You see, feeling bad about your sin actually shows that your heart is not hard. That your heart is still tender and still soft towards the Lord. When you become inured to sin, which means that you just become completely used to it. Um, I spoke about your conscience being seared. Means that you can do bad and you don't feel bad about it. You do bad and then you feel everybody else is doing it. You feel bad and you even tell yourself, I'm not even half as bad as that person. I heard about a guy who did this and this. And you justify yourself in your sin. And you don't even know that you're just digging yourself deeper into the pit. Like I said, slow dancing with the devil. And you don't know. You're not aware. Feeling bad is the process that gets you to recognize. I don't ever want to feel this way again. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so caught. I'm so poked and pierced with the pains and the conviction of the Holy Spirit letting me know I'm not pleased with this action. There's a process of thinking about what you did. It helps to condition your mind, just like Pavlov's dogs, to know this is not a behavior I should be practicing as a born again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a habit that I should keep up. I need to stop this. But in ally culture, as soon as somebody is guilty, we rush and we're like, no, 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 don't feel bad. God loves you just as you are. Don't you dare feel bad. Don't you feel bad at all. And then before people can sink into the pool of feeling bad, which is where they will actually begin the process of swimming their way to reconciliation with Christ, with healing, going through all the steps of um, godly sorrow and indignation and fear and vindication that eventually proves them guiltless. We reach into that pool and snatch them out before they've even had a chance to get wet. Don't you dare feel bad. Let me dry you off. You haven't done anything. So what if you had an affair? So what if you stole all the church's money? It doesn't matter. We accept you. God even gave me a prophecy about that. It's called the evil worker falls. I didn't put it on the blog, but I did put it on my Facebook. And he was basically saying to all you churches where your leaders fall into sin and then the leader comes and before his tear can reach about here, all of you are like, we love you, pastor. We love you. We're with you. We're with you, pastor. He said, if you think that you are more righteous than me, when I said, put out the sinners from the synagogue and you're busy telling them that you love them and we're with them and you don't allow them to go through the process that Apostle Paul spoke of, which is a, a process of stepping down, a process, yes, where you will be shamed. Yes, you will be a pariah. Yes, for a time. But then he said, restore such a one in what? In love. So there is a process where you will be brought back and you will be restored and you can go back to your duties, you know, as a pastor, an elder, worship leader, whatever it is. But if you do not go through the, the process of godly sorrow that will produce repentance that leads to salvation, then you will end up in the fake repentance. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, man, between my inboxes and my Facebook and other places where people can reach me, 
I see more fake repentance than the godly repentance. The fake repentance, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians verses 8 to 11, it says that the fake repentance is just worldly sorrow that lasts for a short time, which means you feel bad for a while. But by the time you get a few text messages telling you, we understand Vanessa, you know, I've even been there myself. You start to feel, well, you know, it's not so bad. I didn't do so bad. Godly sorrow will get you on your knees dialoguing with your maker like David did. So why don't you today spend some time in Psalm 51 and find out what is the godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation, because I constantly bring the word on my other platform. The Lord Jesus has declared judgment on the nation of America. The Lord Jesus will bring judgment on all the nations of the world. And he said that Christians will not be exempt from those judgments. So we really need to examine our hearts. And that is why this word is entitled Godly Repentance, What God Wants Us to Know. Now, part two. This is Celestial Revival. God bless you and take care. Until next time.